0: Well, I'd invite you to open your Bibles to two places this morning. Uh, the series on the seven deadly sins, uh, our launching point for our texts each week comes from the book of Proverbs, so if you could uh, look up Proverbs 28, that'll be part of our text. And then um, over in the New Testament, so if you find the maps in your Bible, then go back a few pages to the left, and we're looking for 1 Timothy, uh, the sixth chapter there, um, I spent a lot of time this week trying to come up with just the right sermon title, and I landed on how much is enough with a question mark. Now that seems kind of boring of a title if you ask me, but I was weighing, I was weighing something, remembering what, uh, what week we had last week, it was we talked about anger and patience, right? Well, I was thinking maybe we should have a title, how much is enough, which kind of suggests the the greed side of the equation today. Because when, when I was thinking about if I, if I were to title a sermon towards the generosity side, it would have to be something like uh, going liberal or Jesus had a liberal agenda. And I just didn't want to go there ahead of time and make you put a little mark on your card and wonder, what's he going to talk about? So we went with, how much is enough? But I hope today that we will be able to look at the deadly sin of greed, and the way to freedom out of greed towards generosity. I mean, that's what the series is designed to do. The series, like I said last week, is not a way for us to figure out how to manage the sin in our life. The, the series is designed so that we can uh, eradicate the sin in our life, that we can... Um, look to a better way that's found in scripture and in the life of jesus Uh, it's designed for us to figure out a way to live freely uh, in christ a life that is free from the death grip that sin often puts on us and i was just thinking about that in the context of some of the words of jesus Jesus was one who said, uh, "If you love me, then you will obey my commands." And so, as we as we think about the seven deadly sins, it comes from the framework that if we if we truly love Jesus, if we are truly devoted to God, then we will want to become like His character, because we will uh, we will um, we will worship we will conform to that which we desire the most. And if we desire something else besides God, then our lives will conform to that. But if we truly love God, and if we are truly devoted to Him, then our character will follow suit, and we will become more Christ-like. I'd invite you to stand as we look at these two texts this morning. The first one is found in Proverbs chapter 28. I'm going to be reading verses 25 through 27. The greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. I I love the Proverbs for the simple fact that I don't have to think too much about what it said. It's pretty straightforward. However, it can be straightforward, yet it can really do a work on us. The way we have to think about it is we have to internalize that and decide if we're going to take it seriously or not. Then over in First uh, Timothy, the 6th chapter, Paul writes uh, these words to this young pastor. First Timothy 6, starting in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then, over in verse 17. See, Paul wasn't saying that wealth was bad. What he was saying to these people was that uh, if you have wealth, then there's something to do with it. It's to put it to work and to be generous. This is the word of the Lord. Say thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, greed is one of those uh, sins that well, it seems to have become uh, socially and morally and culturally uh, acceptable. Uh, greed, simply defined, is, is it's an intense and it's a, a selfish desire for something, especially wealth or money or possessions. But it's not limited to just money. You can be greedy for all sorts of things. You can have a desire build up in your heart for all sorts of things. And so that would make a greedy person a uh, one who uh, has excessive selfishness, the excessive desire to accumulate stuff or things or whatever it is that you're greedy after. A greedy person is one who always thinks about more. And when they have that, it's more and more and more. Greed is accumulation beyond what we need. Greed is... It can be described. There's other words. There's avarice. There's covetousness. There's materialism. Uh, greed is uh, hoarding. It's, it's represented in the saying, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's the definition of greed right there. If you remember the movie or the, the Dr. Seuss book, The Lorax, there's a character in there called the Onceler, and the Onceler, was the epitome of greed. He chopped down the truffle trees so that he could make those thneeds because everybody needed a thneed. Wow, I, I got it right. And it didn't even come out with spit. I'm pretty, that's pretty good. Uh, greed is Wall Street. Greed is excessive profits. Greed is production at the expense of the environment. Greed is profit over people, putting people in working conditions that are... Um, below standard, making them work for small wages and in harsh working conditions, Uh, I know we don't think that we have a problem with greed. Greed is a problem that other people experience. But I want to tell you that greed shows up all over the place. And as we go through this morning, I I would just ask that you would be open-minded because greed is deceptive. And it's easy to think that, mm, you know, I don't have a problem with this. It's, it's out there. It's one of those that, you know, of the seven deadlies, um, I don't really think that I have an issue with, with greed. Greed shows up all over the place. Greed shows up in the miser who's hoarding riches. Greed shows up in the hopes and dreams of those standing in line for a lottery ticket. Greed shows up in the fantasies about thinking how if we only had a little bit more money, some of our problems or all of our problems might be solved. Greed shows up when you hold back giving to those in need because you're not quite sure if you're secure enough yourself. Greed, it's not just about money. You can be greedy about anything. You can be greedy and desiring popularity. You can be greedy uh, about wanting success, climbing the corporate ladder. You can be greedy about uh, wanting uh, a healthier, better-looking body. You can be greedy about wanting a new career or, or a better job. See, greed, it whispers in our ears. That we don't have enough. Gre- greed is that little voice that that tells you that what you have isn't good enough. Greed makes us think that there's this huge gaping hole in our life that can be filled with stuff or whatever it is that's the object of our greed. If we just have more of this, or if we just have one of them that's just a little bit better than what we already have, that whole will be filled in. See, our, our paradigms uh, have been shaped by the dominant culture in the country. Uh, we have been shaped by the thought that you need to make sure that you have enough, that, that you save just enough uh, um, amount of money for retirement so that you can secure your future. See, we need to take care of our families and ourselves. And, and it just seems like When we're talking about that when we say how much is enough it's always a little bit more than we have but what is enough who defines that so the cycle it just keeps on going and going we ask the question is enough and the answer is always one more another one that's better quality one that's bigger, a few more dollars, if I work another year. Greed is a deadly sin. If we're just going to lay it right out on the table, and I can just say it pretty close to the up up front, greed is a deadly sin because it destroys our ability to trust God. Plain and simple. Greed is a deadly sin because it destroys our ability to, to trust in God. Greed makes us think that there's this void in our life and that can be filled with material things. But I'm just going to say that the hole in your life that you may be feeling, the only thing that can fill that is God. See, greed is deadly. It's got our culture by a chokehold. It's, it's, it's got our culture by the throat. And it's not just killing us, but it's killing those who who we trample on in our excessive desire for accumulation. See, greed intensifies the other seven deadly sins, or the other six deadly sins. Uh, I love this quote James Ogilvie writes. he, He ranks greed as first among the seven deadlies. He says that greed turns love into lust, leisure into sloth, hunger into gluttony, honor into pride, righteous indignation into anger, and admiration into envy. If it weren't for greed, we'd suffer fewer of the other sins. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? That greed maximizes. That greed takes us to another level. That's what greed does. It seeks something beyond what we have. I don't think I need to make much of a case for greed. I I don't think that I need to to put a lot of evidence uh, in, in front of you. See, we value money and stuff and getting more of of both. Back in the 1980s, there was a movie called Wall Street, and probably the most famous quote and one that's very uh, telling about our society. One of the characters uh, in that movie, in a speech, he says, greed, for lack of a better word, is good. And you look around our culture, and we've bought into that. Greed is good. You hear people talk about greed, saying that, well, my greed raises everybody else's stock. So because I am greedy, other people are better off. And we buy in to that myth. We buy in to that lie. The advertising industry, those who are charged with creating desire, and telling us what's available to us out there. They spend 6 billion dollars a day advertising. The average person in the course of your daily life will be exposed to about 3,000 different kinds of advertisement. And you wonder why are they spending 6 billion dollars a day? Because it works. It works. The advertising, they, they know us. I sold machines for Xerox, and uh, as I was exiting that industry, some of the most popular uh, mechanisms for marketing were, were personalized. Companies were looking at buying machines that could personalize all of the information. So they could go through their database, they could look at the demographics, they could tell that uh, I'm a male between the ages of such and such, And they know my zip code, so they know about where I live. And so that computer would generate images that would appeal to my demographic. It would put my name on it. You see them more frequently nowadays. Everything that comes to your house is personalized in an attempt to get you to buy something and to convince you that what you have isn't good enough and this particular thing is better and will make you that much happier. Uh, I I liked uh, a cartoon that, uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but it's a Dennis the Menace cartoon. And Dennis is, uh, in one frame, he's looking at a toy catalog. And and the caption on it says, uh, this catalog's got a lot of toys I didn't even know I wanted. (laughs) Then there's the yearly rampage of Black Friday, I remember uh, the first recollection I have of Black Friday madness was back in the day when they still sold Cabbage Patch dolls. And and remember, you know, some of you who were around uh, back in the 80s and paying attention, the the two grandmas who got in a fist fight over the Cabbage Patch doll? It seems like there's a story like that every year. People push and shove and get in fights and trample each other to get in on the madness, to get in on the best deals, to get in on the stuff that we need. $31 billion in lottery tickets, $49 billion Americans spend on credit card interest, $69 billion a year at casinos. (coughs) Greed starts Whenever we see something and develop a desire for it, develop a want for it. When our hearts begin to say, Gimme, 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 I gotta have this, I gotta have this, I gotta have that. When want becomes need, is greed. An attitude of greed, it really starts early in our life. That, that seed is planted in us when, when we are just small. Uh, we start to make out Christmas lists, and we look through the catalogs, and, and we circle the things we want, or we get the flyers in the mail and, and have the kids mark that. That's the beginning of the culture of greed. As we get older, the price tags of our toys, they just get a little bit larger. The action figures turn into video games. The toy version quickly becomes irrelevant, and we need the real deal. It shows up when we're in school, and we start comparing our stuff to the stuff the other kids have, and other kids start to brag to us about how their stuff is so much better than ours, and we want to keep up. That's developing the cycle of greed in our lives. Kids comparing their stuff to others. And then the cruel comments come in, and, and, and not only is there comparison, but then there's, the, then there's the shunning because, well, you don't have that, or you don't have the latest. And the questions start coming about income. It's just cruel. That's the seed of greed in our life. It starts when we're small, and it doesn't stop ever See, kids are labeled and they're judged based on the brands of clothes that they wear or the gadgets that they have or the stuff that they don't have. Greed's deadliness, it shows up in the promises of popularity and acceptance. If only we had the cool stuff to fit in. Greed is the allure of the credit card. It's in keeping up with your friends. It's in the accumulation of stuff, even if we have to go into debt for it. All this stuff that cultivates desire in us. It, 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 makes us uh, it makes us think that we gotta have stuff to fill whatever void it is that we feel in our life. And we quickly get fooled into to thinking that, that true happiness comes from filling that void with stuff. There's a couple Hebrew words um, that talk about being greedy or greed. Uh, one of them means to be wide of soul. Another way to say wide of soul is to be wide of appetite. The, the, the root word talks about the throat. So to be wide of appetite is to just be open and consuming. Then another one of them is to, is to, to break off a piece, which leads us to the word for plunder. Plunder. Greed is plundering for personal gain. And there's the Greek word pleonexia. We talked about pleonexia last year when we were in our Lenten series. The text that Lois read earlier from from Luke 12, uh, Jesus is is talking and and he says that, uh, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Be on your guard against all kinds of pleonexia. Life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. See, pleonexia is the, is the constant desire for more. Uh, convinces us that we need the things that we want. Pleonexia is the idea that we get stuck in our head. That won't, the, the idea won't escape until we procure whatever it is. Seeing something on Amazon or the internet or driving by a billboard or a commercial on TV and it sparks some interest in us and it puts that idea in our head and we can't shake it until we have gone shopping or clicked buy and it arrives in the mail or we take it home with us. That's pleonexia. Jesus had some pretty strong words for that. that guy. He said, you fool. You fool. That hurts. That's an ouch, Jesus. See, the the two texts that we read today uh, begin to tell us why greed is so deadly. They tell us that the greed has a negative impact on our lives and, and our ability to live freely in Christ. Gre- greed leads us to conflict. It plunges us into temptation. Greed is a snare that, that traps us and puts us in bondage. Greed gives us senseless and hurtful desires, which ultimately is going to bring us to ruin. That's greed couple observations that I have. Uh, Greed is like Pinocchio. Greed's like Pinocchio. It deceives us. Greed is a liar. Sinful desire of, uh, the sinful desire of greed causes us to think that we need to earn more than we actually need. To long for stuff that's never really going to satisfy us. Greed makes promises that it can't keep. Greed promises that the material stuff is going to make us happy, and it never does. Sure, for a moment, we have a thrill. We feel good about what it is that we bought. We look good in whatever it is that we purchased. The new toy works beautifully. The iPhone 4 comes out. And Siri tells you all sorts of things about what fast food is in the area and what the temperature is in Paris and and all sorts of things. But what happens with these kinds of gadgets? Three months later, four months, six months later, there's a new model, right? The iPhone 4 is quickly replaced with the iPhone 5. Whatever it is, the style of the clothes that you purchased this year get outdated and you have to, to rebuy your wardrobe for next year so that you fit in with the current look. The momentary thrill disappears fast. Greed is a liar. Greed is like Pinocchio. Greed is also like a dirt devil vacuum. Greed uh, sucks the joy out of life and hurts other people. Uh, when I think about this, uh, There was a little boy who came to Lisa's daycare for a number of years, and he was a greedy little guy. He he would go around and he would collect as many of the toys as he could. He would take the toys away from the other kids, and pretty soon he would have two armfuls of toys, and he would stand there guarding them. And he always wanted more. And so when he, tried to, when he tried to get more, he would go to pick it up and something would fall out and it would frustrate him. And then he would figure out some way to, to just accumulate all the stuff and guard it and just kind of look around and be on the lookout. But he had no enjoyment. It was sad to watch because he would get so frustrated because he would have all the stuff but he wouldn't be able to play with it. Because if he started to play with one toy, that would mean that he had to release control of all the other ones, and that would make him open and available for the kids. He had to accumulate that, and he just stood around with the sad look on his face. Greed is like a Dirt Devil vacuum cleaner. When we accumulate, it sucks the joy out of life. See, there's a paradoxical nature to greed. Its aim is to increase the pleasure that we get through stuff. But it often does so at the expense of enjoyment and to the harm and hurt of, of other people. Greed is, greed is like an on-ramp to the interstate. First um, Timothy 6 that we read, verses 9 and 10, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Over in 1 Kings 21, there's a story about uh, King Ahab. King Ahab, he desired the vineyard that was right next door to his castle. The, the vineyard right next door to his, his castle there was owned by a man named Naboth. And so King Ahab went to Naboth and he said, you know, I really want your vineyard because I want to plant a vegetable garden there. And Naboth said... Well, this, this property has been in my family for generation after generation. It just it means more to me than what you're offering. So I, it's not really for sale. And Ahab, he went back to his castle all dejected and forlorn and bummed out. Then his wife, her name's Jezebel, she said, You're not acting like a king! Take it! Make him sell it to you. She said, you know what? I'll take care of it. I'll get that piece of property for you. So she made up uh, false stories. Had the guy, Naboth, accused of blasphemy and treason. She had him put to death. And Ahab was then able to go and confiscate the land. See, Ahab's desire for more, that greed that was at the root led, led to lying, it led to murder, it led to theft. See, greed is an interstate on-ramp to all sorts of other sin. Greed's also like the Great Wall of China. Greed is a barrier between us and between God. Greed puts up walls between our relationship with God. You can't serve two masters, says Jesus. You remember what the Tenth Commandment is in the Ten Commandments? The Tenth Commandment is, thou shalt not covet. Well, when greed starts to work its way into our life, and we start to break this commandment, and we start to covet, and we start to desire, and we start to want, and we start to accumulate, when we break the Tenth Commandment, it prevents us from keeping the first one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. When we break the tenth, we put number ten and number one into opposition with each other. And Jesus spoke to that. He says you can't serve two masters. You can't love God and love money. Why? Because both of them are all consuming. Jesus had it figured out. Greed puts up the wall between us in God, Greed is deadly. Greed destroys our ability to trust God. It convinces us that we know better for our life than what God does. Greed convinces us that we own all of our stuff. Greed tells us that everything that we've worked so hard for has in actuality become ours. We label it as mine. And whenever we start labeling things as mine, barriers go up. It becomes deadly because then then we feel like we have to hold on to it. See, there's a spiritual cost to greed. If we fail to curb the excess of of greed, we, we, we may be blessed with material wealth, but it's going to be at the cost of spiritual poverty. I was reading about people who uh, collect animals over in Africa to bring back to populate the zoos in our country. And most animals are relatively easy to catch and trap and, and bring back. But there's, there's one animal that uh, is fairly tricky to catch. It's the ring-tailed monkey, the ring-tailed lemur. Uh, is a tricky little animal to catch, I guess. Uh, Chuck Swindell has told this story. Um, The native people, though, they know how to catch the ring-tailed monkey. All you have to do is observe the animal. And they have figured out that the seeds of a particular melon that grows on a vine, uh, the monkey just can't get enough of those seeds. And so their trap is simply this. They cut a little hole in the melon, and just let it sit out there. And the monkeys can't resist it. They need the seeds. They can't stay away from the melon. And so here comes the ring-tailed lemur, and it comes in, and it it puts its hand in the hole and grabs onto the seed. Clutches as many of those as it can and makes its fist. Guess what happens? It can't get its fist back out of the hole because it's holding on to that which it desires most. It'll sit there for hours, clawing and screaming, scratching, fighting with that melon. It's in a trap. All they need to do is let go and go to freedom. But they hold on and they get trapped. That's what greed does to us. Greed causes us to clutch and make this huge fist of all these delicious melon seeds and it puts us in a trap it puts us in bondage it puts us in jail and there we are stuck can't enjoy life can't enjoy the stuff we're just in a trap but there is freedom there is freedom from that it's called letting go it's called practicing generosity See, there there is this way out, there is this freedom from greed that builds up in our life and and we just need to admit our attitudes and our lifestyles may be characterized and and shaped by excess and the desire to accumulate and this, this whole seeking of security. We need to stop looking at the speck of greed in other people's eyes and admit that once in a while we could label the plank in our own eye with, With greed, we need to ask God to open our eyes so we can cultivate an awareness and and come to an understanding of of how the sin of greed has worked its way into our life. We need to learn to trust God with our needs because He will take care of you. He knows what we need. Jesus preached about it in the Sermon on the Mount. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need and he will give them to you. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all those other things. Everything you need will come along as well. See, generosity is letting go. It's letting go of the things that will that we think will bring us happiness. It's practicing giving of our resources, which are a gift from God in the first place. The generosity is, is living out uh, the freedom that exists when we no longer look at our stuff as belonging to us and being open to using all of our stuff for God's glory and for His use. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He tells people to sow generously and you will reap generously. He's encouraging the people of, of Corinth to get out of their comfort zone and, and to give generously, which was a stretch for this church who was in a, a Roman uh, city that uh, if you could describe a greedy city, Corinth would be it. Wealth and materialism was what people strived for. And to let go of that was a stretch for them. Get out of your comfort zone. Give Generously, says Paul. See, giving does several things. Um, giving does something for others. It blesses them. It relieves their need. It may restore their faith in humanity that people actually care. And it causes them to consider and, and thank God. Being generous and, and giving uh, does something for us too, doesn't it? It frees us. We live out our faith and and we bear fruit. It's evidence of a transformed life and and of of a transformed heart. It builds community. If you look around, there's not too many negative, grouchy, generous people, right? When you come upon somebody who's generous... They usually have a smile on their face and joy in their heart. They give with a cheerful attitude. And giving and being generous does something for God. He gets the glory. He gets the honor. He gets the praise. He gets the credit. People's hearts are turned towards Him. When we give stuff away in a way that causes them, to, wow, why did you do that? You know what? Because it's not my stuff anyway and, and God calls us to a life of generosity. Wow! Maybe I should look this God up. So here's some ideas to consider, to build generosity into your life. Some ideas to cultivate a generous attitude. They're not easy. They could be difficult. Uh, The the first is, uh, at the very minimum, consider tithing. The Bible says, that 10% we give back to the church, that we give back to the ministry to spread the gospel. So at the very minimum, we start there. This is the only place in all of Scripture where God says, test me on this and see if I won't throw up on the floodgates. Malachi 3.10, if you want to look it up. Consider supporting the missionary work that's going on around the world. Consider taking some of your time and being generous with that and helping those people in need, it probably is going to lead you to, to sacrifice something else in your life too. Because when you rub shoulders and elbows and are in relationship with people who have severe need, it does something at your core. All the stuff that you have becomes irrelevant and it becomes about helping and loving other people. Maybe what you need to do is go home and inventory your stuff. (laughs) I know, I got you, didn't I? There's one quote that has stuck with me all week long that, that simply says this, the extra coat in your closet belongs to somebody else. I like jackets. I have a jacket for most occasions. We've lived in multiple climates, and so over time, I've accumulated different outerwear that will make me comfortable, and warm, and dry, and in any environment. Should I have all those jackets? Do I need, do I need a black one and a brown one? Do I need the pullover version and the zip-up version? Do I I, I need the one that keeps me dry in the fishing boat and the one that keeps me dry on my bicycle? The extra jacket in my closet belongs to somebody else. That's been rattled around in my cage all week long. That's a hard one to deal with. You know why? Because greed has shaped my paradigm. And it's very easy to rationalize why I need one of every kind of coat that I have. I can convince myself that it's a need. I need to be dry when I ride my bicycle. I need to be warm when I go out into the woods. I need to be warm when I'm walking around town. So I look at all the stuff, and and, and I can easily say it's not excess. Because each one suits a different purpose. That's how greed fools us. The extra coat in your closet belongs to somebody else. Ouch. Because it's not just about coats, it's about cars, it's about kitchen appliances. It's about decorations. It's about homes. I could list stuff until I get every single one of us. I know it. That's your job. If you feel the Holy Spirit checking you in spirit right here, it's because we're holding on to the melon seeds and we're trapped. And living a generous life causes us to let go so that we can go on to freedom. I don't know what it is for you. If you took an offering plate home with you this week, what would you be willing to put in it and bring back next week? Would it be car keys? House keys? Vacation rental keys? Would it be an extra coat? Extra wardrobe? I don't know what it would be. But if you took an offering plate home, that's what I want you to do this week. Not literally, figuratively. Look at your stuff. Look at what you're hanging on to. And ask yourself the question, is everything that I have available for God's use? And listen for the answer. And when when the response from yourself comes that, you know what, I can justify everything I have, give that to God. Listen for His voice. See, generosity helps us let go. The, The acts of giving our stuff away Help us to, to detach, really, from this kind of a lifestyle. Giving stuff away helps us practice dependency on God, and that's really what we want, right? Did you stand for prayer?